Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of the Fanatic PW's twice-a-month newsletter on comics and pop culture. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Hi, I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Comics Beat at comicsbeat.com, and you can check us out on Twitter at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us on Tumblr, pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes. And on social media, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And don't forget, you can also leave us a rating or leave us a comment. Uh, tell us uh, if you like us. Or can you? Uh, you know, I was recently at a show, and a couple of our very loyal listeners... Um, well, one of them said, you know, yeah. every time you say that, I try to leave a comment and it makes me log in and I don't want to log in and I can't do it. So uh, uh, we're actually investigating yeah, that to make sure that you can yeah. leave a comment. I, I mean, if you're listening on iTunes, you can yes. you yeah, can yeah. always leave a comment there or leave right. us a rating. and um, Stitcher as well. And Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because yeah, we're on other platforms. Yeah. And I'll, I'm going to look into this. Yes, yes, we are. But we do. We love to have any kind of feedback. Please. And 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 shout out to listener Brendan. Brendan, you're always telling me how much you love listening to uh, Calvin and Kate and myself. And uh, anyway, we really appreciate your loyal listening. Thanks, we, Brendan. And we also appreciate technical feedback because, I mean, we know what it looks like going into the meat grinder of the uh, – digital space on our end but we don't always know what the experience is like for you yeah. so your feedback is to our benefit because it's not that like we're giving you annoying tech glitches for fun seriously let us know yeah and subscribe and hit the like button that's the number one thing you can do Please. to support this podcast all right this week on more to come Figgy rules marvel uh, the ALA adds an adult reading list. Watching Watchmen. Streaming news. Uh, and we're going to take a look at um, Tadashi Agi and Shu Okimoto's Drops of God. And Eleanor Davis has a new graphic novel. So. Well, the shoe dropped, guys. Yeah. Well, we've been waiting for this for <laughs> yeah. a long time. Uh, you know, there was announced last week, early last week. That there was a change at Marvel and that Kevin Feige, the uh, genius behind the MCU, the guy who's like, you know, got 24 movies to somehow tell one story, which is probably, <laughs> it's, you know, one of the greatest feats in movie history. I don't care what Martin Scorsese says. That's um, right. Well, That's we could, we could go this. back, we could, we could back into that, but, um, uh, anyway, it was announced that he would be getting a new title, Chief Creative Officer, and he would now have complete creative control over Marvel Television and Marvel Publishing. However, this did not mean that Isaac Ike Perlmutter was entirely out of the picture because he will remain in charge of operations and licensing. It kind of sounded like all the business functions yeah. at Marvel. And he's still the CEO of... Well, he's still the chairman. The chairman. The chairman, okay. yes. Right. So he's what got is, power. What does operations actually mean in this case? Well, that means the budget. And, you know, yeah. like there's a lot of things about mm -hmm. Marvel. For instance, you know, they have these really uh, crappy offices. I know that VPs actually share offices there. The offices are so tiny <laughs> and small, and there's only, you know, a very limited number of bathrooms, for instance. They're far below. He <laughs> sounds like a Marvel villain. What any like, other, <laughs> uh, you know. Dr. He Doom. is. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so it might not be like, you know, if Kevin Feige dropped by Marvel and people were like, please, can I have my own office? And he'd say, yeah, sure. The bike would still block that. But, you know, now <laughs> if they wanted to do a Fantastic Four comic, I mean, for years, the Fantastic Four were not published because of uh, their, the being Fox movies. And of course, if you publish a, you know, Fantastic Four comic book that sold 30,000 copies, that would so be a promotion of the films. Oh, so, heaven and forbid. And also, Fox would have gotten a little bit of the money, I guess. I don't know. So, uh, yeah. uh, maybe not gotten the money. But, uh, anyway, money. it wasn't done. But now, say, uh, they could, uh, under cre creatively. I mean, that's, that's kind of the bare bones of it. I, I don't know, Calvin. What are, what are you well, hearing? Well, I mean, I mean, I, I do find the palace intrigue at Marvel, uh, mm -hmm. under, uh, and this, uh, uh, insane, you know, uh, knife, uh, between teeth warfare between Fred <laughs> Miller, uh, and Feige is, uh, sort of strange when this, 
I mean, Marvel's ruling the roost now. It seems like Promo could loosen the strings a little bit. Um, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I, obviously, I think what we're all worried about is what does this mean for print comics? Right. And I think, uh, Kate, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say that it may mean good things for print comics because Marvel, I'm not going to say it's stagnated, but it could definitely use maybe a younger, more modern person at the top. Maybe. Mm-hmm. With uh, some maybe more up-to-date attitudes. Well, I think that's very important. You know, I think people like us are obsessing over what this means for publishing. Uh, from talking to a few people, really this move was aimed at television. And, mm-hmm. you know, people had noticed in, in recent words uh, that, um, you know, Mar- Dan Buckley is the president of Marvel, and he had both Marvel Entertainment, president of Marvel Entertainment, so he had, like, television reporting to him and also publishing. Television division was run by Jeff Loeb, uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, best known in comics for writing Hush, I suppose. Many other comics, but you know, he, he's he, written some very, very good comics. He actually he's has. Some, he's he written has some, some very real good. classics. Actually. And he has a big, very long, um, uh, pedigree in television as well. But you know what? Uh, under the parsimonious, uh, Marvel product, TV, Marvel Entertainment budgets, uh, maybe not as, um, as, uh, maybe not as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, luxurious as some of the other stuff. You know, he was in charge of Netflix, for instance. Uh, the five shows that were on Netflix. They had a budget of two million to five million dollars per episode, which is really peanuts. Uh, you know, these new shows that Kevin Feige is doing for Disney Plus have a hundred and twenty million dollars for like six episodes. So, you know, they're being produced on a, on a, uh, big budget, theatrical budget. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the budgets at Marvel TV were very, very small. Uh, anyway, Jeff, it, this week there's been more announcements that, uh, that Loeb is leaving, but you know, he was going to leave before. And, yeah. uh, that one wasn't a new one. Right, right, right. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he had wanted to leave before because this has been coming for quite a while. Mm. Um, you know, there were some other reports that Alan Fine had left, and uh, I haven't um, – I mean, that was reported in Variety, but I'm a little puzzled by that one. Um, well, the thing with Feige is – Feige, is it, it's pretty clear. I mean, he's – got a knack for storytelling and he certainly has a knack for managing a really involved uh, universe of characters. Uh, I mean, I don't know whether he cares anything about print publishing or not. Just from reading your piece, Heidi, mm-hmm. uh, it seems that he has uh, it does seem to have a deep respect for the legacy that's been handed to him. That That's a good sign. Uh, I mean, I, I, I just don't understand the notion that this uh, legacy of comics that has led to this incredible um, blockbuster universe of movies of incredibly uh, popular, profitable, and genuinely um, uh, enjoyed movies. Why this is just written off, uh, or so it seems. Um, I know it doesn't make money the way move, movies does, but it's it just seems to me this is why this is how we got to now. Well, it is, but so I show it some respect. You mean are you talking about from the Scorsese side of things? Or no, I, no, I'm not yeah, talking that's about a, that's that. A that's a different argument. Right. Okay. Issue. No, yeah. I'm talking about the general sense. Uh, it seems to me, because in some ways, the same way when we talk about AT and T, there seems to be at the at the top of these mammoth corporations that own these these publishing gems. Really, a kind of uh, what seems to be almost a disregard for them. Well, now maybe I'm, I'm maybe I'm I overreacting because I'm a print exactly guy. Right. Okay, so that's fine. I'm overreacting, but that's my view of it—that they're not taking them seriously enough. Well, I almost wonder how much of that is really the parent company not taking them seriously, and how much of that is Perlmutter holding the purse strings very tightly because. He was never really a big one for promotional budgets. Listeners, I'm going to disclose something. We never get, well, we hardly ever get review copies of anything from Marvel at Publishers Weekly. Yes. We just don't. Because, uh, Perlmutter felt that he, you know, review copies were an unnecessary expense. So if you're not going to spend even that promotional budget, you're not going to spend promotion in other ways either. Yeah. Um, I think Meg is getting to, to upload occasionally something for review. Right. It hasn't happened very often. Right. It's, it's very rare. It's very rare. Even in digital, which are basically free to send us. Um, 
like I remember literally when there was a book I wanted reviewed at Publishers Weekly going to the author at a comic con and saying <laughs> hey can you give us some copies of the issues sure. so we can review them and he was like well they didn't give it to you and I was like yeah no Marvel doesn't do that yeah you know listen there was one little factoid that was in uh, there was a variety story this week about Loeb leaving that had a lot of, uh, you know, Ike gossip in it. And there was one little item in there that said that he personally reviews the, ex- he approves the expense reports of the people who report to him. That's true. I can confirm that. Okay. So this is what we're talking. We're talking about absolute micromanagement. Abs- nickel and diming. Absolute nickel and diming. And so, uh, you know, I mean, I think Calvin, when you're talking about a lack of respect, uh, I, 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 I don't think that, overstated I, it. Yeah. I, I don't think that that at Disney at all because Disney yeah. is well, uh, zealous yeah. over every tiny scrap of yeah. IP. I mean, yeah. they, right. you know, they it's like you know Frankenstein's lab. They take one little piece of tissue and keep it in a you know a petri dish for a long right. time, hoping to grow a whole new creature out of it. <laughs> then I then I retract it all. I yeah. mean, uh, but clearly, I mean, honestly, that's what I'm interested in. I'm curious where what's happening with the prince. Well, I oh, I'm sorry, Kate. But what I was going to say is is I'm I'm hoping that it's a good thing for the print side yes, because I do too. I hope so. I've often noticed at both Marvel and DC that there's a certain disjunction between the movies and the comics. By which I don't mean that they have to be exactly the same. The and the you know animated universe and the cinematic universe and the comic book universe can all be separate. But there are things like characters getting killed off or turned evil right before they have a major movie which is maybe not the best commercial decision. Yeah. Um, because if someone falls in love with, say, Captain America and wants to read the Captain America comic and sudden, you know, from the movies and then suddenly in the comic, Captain America's evil for a year, you're not going to sell that comic, man. So I kind of wonder with one guy at the head of everything if, you know... Maybe that kind of thing's going to happen a little less. Well, I think... I'll tell you what I think. I think that Kevin Feige's a very, very busy man. Yeah. And he's got this whole Disney Plus thing to launch. Of course. And I think that, you know, basically they've gotten the TV away from Jeff Loeb. And, you know, one, the crown jewel of the entire Marvel Entertainment Ike era of Marvel TV, we haven't even mentioned. It was the Inhumans. Remember? <laughs> uh, yes. So this is what we're talking about. So, you know, listen, Bob Iger and Kevin Feige both uh, don't want anything to do with Ike Perlmutter. However, they can't get rid of him. So they've painted him into a teenier and tinier corner. Now, I understand, I heard, that there are some other Marvel personnel who uh, also maybe don't have, aren't, uh, you know, beloved of some of the folks at Marvel Studios. Um, and so perhaps some of them were also uh, not listened to quite as much in this new setup. But, uh, you know, Dan Buckley now reports directly to uh, Kevin Feige and um, not to, but he reports to Ike for the business side of things. But uh, it, they went to pains to say that Son of Aminat, uh mm-hmm. and C.B. Sabolsky, uh, would still be there, uh, and uh, who else? Uh, Joe Casada will still be there. Yeah, so, yeah. So, you know, they'll be. Pretty, yeah, there's no big. Yeah. You know, there's no big change. But yeah. I, I do see, like, there might come a day when, uh, like, you know, I talked to. Uh, I was at a show this weekend that I asked a very famous comic book writer. I said what I asked what he thought of this, and he said, "Well, I'll tell you one thing. Marvel doesn't pay enough for me to work there, and you know, their rates are very low." Marvel's been cutting, 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 cutting their rates. And so the, maybe there will be something that somebody wants to spend a little bit of money on, and that's where the new battle will be. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. It should be good. And, I mean, obviously, Feige's not going to be doing the day-to-day. But Perlmutter wasn't doing the day-to-day. No. Well, he, he was... Ex- but but he was, except for the financial aspect. Yeah. But there were definitely... 
from what we've heard from people who worked at Marvel, definitely some dictates from on high, which mm-hmm. did, to a certain degree, influence the direction right. of the comics. And so then that might also happen from Feige, but in a very different way, because he's a very different person. Absolutely, yes. And can only be to the good. Yes, yes. So but the biggest, the hottest rumor in all of this is that Marvel would be moving to the West Coast. Yes. So, uh, yes, so. so I was told, I did, I picked up a, a bucket barrel load of gossip man oh delightful yeah but uh, so one thing is like you know uh, one thing i keep hearing is that uh you know that new freelancer law everybody's freaking out about it we should definitely talk about yeah that we should look into we should that all a little bit more investigate actually. it and uh, talk about it but um that you know would dc be moving but i i, I was shown a photo of uh this new uh public this new publishing campus for Warner Brothers, designed by Frank Gehry, so uh, that really? will be new, yes, that will be well, not pu- just for publishing, but it's for yeah. some Warner Brothers stuff. So yeah, so DC's new home is in a nice Frank Gehry building. It's actually really cool. Okay. Uh, so then, so what about Marvel? Now, I personally think it'll be still a little bit of a while, but I heard that uh, Disney is also building a new, and they do call it a campus. They're building a new publishing campus out there. And uh, maybe there will be a home, but maybe, maybe there will be will. enough bathrooms. I mean, but you know, Marvel has or Disney has its publishing offices here at um, at uh, Hudson Yards, correct, Kelvin? Um, actually, I'm not sure where Disney's offices in New York are. So, but so I, you may I, be right. I believe yeah. they have some at Hudson Yards, yeah. and I can tell you, they definitely have lots of bathrooms there. So, but uh, you know, I'm sorry yeah, this to yeah. be called, you know, more to bathroom, you know, bathroom yeah. to. Yeah, sorry about. It. I yeah. actually don't know where their offices yeah. are anymore. But, so, uh, that, but you know, I'll look into that. I'm sure you're right. Needs. So, uh, anyway, All right. so that's well, the bottom line. Of yeah, that. I mean, my stuff is speculation. So, um, yeah, more to come. More to come. More to come. All right. Uh, so we shall we uh, segue to the ALA? Yes. We shall. Yeah. This is huge. Yeah, it, it really is, and it's really the, the graphic novel comics, uh, graphic novel and comics roundtable. Uh, it really starting to flex its muscles and act on some of the things that they've been talking about. Uh, they're launching a uh, a a great graphic novels adult reading list. Uh, there are other lists like this coming out of ALA. Yalsas, the young adult. Uh, I don't know the entire name, but it's Young Adult, adult Library Service Assist yeah. Associates. But this is a long-running list. Right. It's very famous, incredibly influential. Right. Uh, your, your book will get a significant jolt uh, if yeah. you're added to because, this. Because librarians buy from that list. Yes, and they, yes, yeah. and they buy like across the entire country. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, If you don't know anything about comics, but you want your, your young readers to be able to read comics, you just go to this list and are like, okay, I want yeah. that one, that one, that one, that one. And this goes to the next step of really uh, the graphic novel and library revolution, if you right. want to call it that. Uh, we've pretty much conquered the uh, young reader services, middle grade and young adult. And uh, the adult reading um, the collections are really kind of the final frontier, you know, in many ways. So uh, because you, we do – I still hear librarians um, complaining about some of their colleagues who actually uh, have attitudes that we've seen long disappeared in the children's side of things. And, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I believe that a certain number of our listeners and our subscribers – uh, who to look to uh, PW Comics World for some um, graphic novel information? Um, use us as a source when they're trying to figure out what's uh, yeah, going on in the world yeah, of graphic absolutely. novels and That's comics. Absolutely true. Absolutely. But uh, you know, we've if tr- you are library listeners, yes. please comment. Let us yes. know what you yes. want. Yes. Leave a, leave a comment. Talk to we'd us. Love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, well, we've been talking about the graphic novel and comics roundtable on here since it was formed last year. And, uh, you know, it's headed right now by the first president, Amy Wright. And, uh, you know, I profiled it extensively in our library yes, special. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you can read it mm. online. It came out in May. And uh, one of the things mm. they mentioned in there was the possibility of doing a reading list for graph- mm-hmm. adult graphic novels yep. because there's so much confusion about them. And so they just announced that they are forming a committee. Yes, a sub- they have a, a sub- yeah, subcommittee. They have a committee. Mm-hmm. And they are looking to launch the first list in 2021. Yes. So yeah. they'll be getting the committee together next year. Librarians take a long time to do things. Yeah. So they do but not. But once they get rolling, yeah, once they get rolling things start happening. They cannot stop them. So yeah. this could be huge. Oh, yeah. It'll be it, it, very, it will very be huge. huge. Yeah. Yeah. I have no doubt. So, uh, they, the, I mean, they are, they exist 
to further the development of graphic novels in the library world, and uh, this is going to be a major. It's going to have a major impact. So, uh, more to come. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Okay. Well, here's a hot topic. I think in many ways, watching Watchmen. All right. Uh, we're talking obviously about the new TV series, and I don't have all of the personnel so we've been in like, mind. Well, we've been talking about that it. here for a couple of years, also, mm-hmm. and you know, we I knew was it always was coming. Saying, we knew it was coming, and I was yeah. always like, "Oh, we're gonna hate watch it." And uh, you know what? It's by Damon Lindelof. I'm not a Damon right. Lindelof yeah, fan. I'm not a fan of continuing the Watchmen. And goddamn. You like it? It's really well. I just not me. I mean, it's gotten rave reviews. It has gotten rave reviews. Um, what did you think, Kevin? Because it turns out yeah. it's it's about racism. It's, in it's, it's about white supremacy. Yeah, it's about white uh, supremacy. Look, you know, I will say this. Uh, first thing I'll say is that it's very difficult to make a determination about this series based on seeing one show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it goes, in my humble opinion, from being kind of brilliant to be kind of cheesy, uh, unexpectedly. Um, uh, it brings in elements of the original work, but it, it really isn't. I mean, I don't think you need to have seen the original work or read it uh, to Get be it. interested or to embrace this. No, not at all. Um, I mean, it's just so. Uh, so uh, I, I do like intriguing. Regina King's performance. Um, uh, it, it, apparently, um, it uses techniques that. Uh, the producer has used in other shows he's put together like Lost. Um, but I actually didn't find the opening sequences that baffling. I found them very engaging. Um, the, how he sets up the characters, how he sets up this, uh, this core narrative of the secret white supremacist organization that's taken over the identity of Warshak. Mm-hmm. Um, all of this is very engrossing, but there are other things that, you know, I, and there are some parts I thought were kind of cheesy. Um, I well, don't want to give I, anything away. Well, without, without, I don't, yeah, I don't want to spoil too much, but I will talk about the opening scene because, uh, you know, it has really gotten a lot of attention that instead of opening with anything related to the Watchmen, it opens with the recreation of the Tulsa race yes. massacre, which is a very little known, uh, but horrifying mm-hmm. piece of American history. And this is by far the most, you know, uh, uh, prominent mention in pop culture yeah. that this event has ever had but uh, basically there was this part of Tulsa that was called the Black Wall Street it was a very prosperous middle class neighborhood and a bunch of white people came and bombed to mm. like shot everybody they had an airplane come in and strafe it yeah. Uh, yeah. anyway this really happened but then it turns into a metaphor for Superman yeah. a child uh, sent off by his parents hmm. and I was, I, I, it just had me from the opening scene. Yeah. I was like, I mean, I felt it was very audacious, you know, to take this real life horrific thing and to tie it into, you know, one of our most treasured mm-hmm. myths of Superman being sent from Krypton. And, you know, wow, that packs yeah. a powerhouse right there. And, and that's where maybe some of my doubts, uh, creep in. Uh, this is really one of the more powerful, uh, episodes, uh, in the sad history of, uh, uh, race terrorism in this country. Um, <clears throat> uh, it is little known. Uh, it has been getting more attention in more recent years in other, uh, in other ways, uh, in more, uh, his, his, historical ways. Um, and you would hate to see an, in, uh, an incident like that used, uh, as simply a yes, tease. Absolutely. To draw people in. So we're hoping that some significant narrative Something significant and powerful comes out of this. Well, what yeah. happened to the kid who escaped? Well, we want to. We all want to know that, and and I think we we want to know more about the background of Regina King. Of mm-hmm. um, what's her sister Knight is the, yes, the name Knight, of the, yeah. uh, um, a superhero in the mode of uh, the Watchmen superheroes. Uh, so uh, you know, I I want to see more. I mean, I, I that's what I would say about the show at this point. Uh, that, that you, I don't really think you have enough to go on to make some kind of definitive, definitive no, determination. No, but I, about but it. it was a very, very provocative. Yeah, opening it really episode. was. It was very provocative, yeah. and it was very smart. Yeah, it was beautifully acted. You know, great score. Mm. It was really, really well done. I have uh. to say. I mean, but I think, I think you're right, Calvin. I think, um, I think it'll be argued about quite a bit. Mm, yeah, you know, yeah. depending on where it goes. Well, I'm, I'm our resident doesn't watch everything person. Um, and it's true, I don't have a lot of time to watch TV, but 
this is the kind of thing that I'd be more likely to watch on TV than in a movie theater. Because in a movie theater, I, I would, at like 20 feet tall, that might be just a little too hard to watch. Right. Whereas in the safety of my own living room with the lights on and the ability to hit pause or mute as needed uh, and pet my cat, <laughs> I might be more willing to watch it. Um, it does, it does actually have me interested. I'm going to, mm, I'm going to, because I'm always very suspicious of first episodes. Yeah. They're usually not very reflective of a series, either for better or worse. Um, there's any number of wonderful series that have terrible first episodes. So I'm going to wait maybe mm, two, three episodes in. And if the, uh, what I'm hearing from my sources, by which I do not mean the newspapers, by which I mean actual fans, yeah. people who get it, uh, then, you know, maybe I'll watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, has, have either of you seen Joker? No, not yeah, yet. I, 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 I am going to go see it. Uh, but how have we not? I mean, it's like a huge global hit. It's made like $500 million, and the three of us haven't seen it. Uh, yeah. Damn. Well, I think there's been a few comics conventions that have kind of yeah. come in between. Yeah. <laughs> and and furthermore, I mean. But it's just sucked Joker, out of time. I almost feel like Joker is aimed at a specific audience, and that specific audience is not comic book fans. Well, yeah. that, I get but that. With it, but you, yeah. you know, I mean, this is not on our a topic list, so I'm throwing a curveball at you guys. But do you think. So, I mean, just to allude to something that we were talking about earlier, you know, there has been this huge backlash yes. from Scorsese, from Francis Ford Coppola, now from Pedro Almodovar, from Ken Loach, talking about how superhero movies are, you know, not good. Not, not, they're like, they're like, you know, amusement park rides. They're not like good They're cinema. corporate products. Yeah, they're corp, and they're corporate products. Wait. And, you know, I think, I mean. I've um, only heard them secondhand. I haven't had a chance to really read yeah. what specifically they said. I mean, this isn't an unusual sort of uh, dismissal of blockbuster movies by this brand of of director. This is just sort of the first time that they've aimed their formidable opinions directly yeah. at these specific well, films. I recall. I'm not sure the the point of it. Yeah, the point of it is people get uh, these directors on the press trail for something else yeah. and ask them a gotcha question, then they yeah. get a great soundbite. You know, listen, uh, when Bonnie and Clyde came out in the wild bunch in the late sixties, they were despised by critics and, you know, by a lot of classic directors said they were just garbage, violent yeah. stuff. You know, this is just a generational thing. It's like I said to, uh, I was on a panel where this came up and, uh, I pointed out that, you know, we're getting a grim, gritty, dark take on Watchmen, which was itself a grim, <laughs> yes. gritty, well, dark yeah. I mean, take I don't, on superheroes. I don't think so. it's meant to be more grim and gritty than actual Watchmen. I think it's supposed to be in the tradition of Watchmen, which means it, too, will be grim and gritty. If it weren't grim and gritty, it wouldn't be faithful yeah, I, to the but, source. But my whole point is that, you know, like, we're just retreading all this stuff, and it just goes in cycles, is what I'm saying, mm. you know? And, yeah. And so... Um, yeah, we're definitely back to the, oh, isn't dark profound stage. But let me ask you this. And then none of us have seen it. But the big question is, would Joker have made $500 million if it was just called, you know, Lonely Guys Had Enough? <laughs> well, if they had a catchier well, title than that, Heidi, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that the, the title would change the, the opinion of the movie, no. I mean, so if it's the think, same movie. No, but I see what I'm saying. The tie into the Batman. Joker, if it wasn't about the Joker. If it was, if his, if he was not tied into the Batman mythos, if he was, if he was just his own freestanding character. If his name was Poopert Rupkin, okay? Or, <laughs> well, or, that was a really good movie. Travis <laughs> Tiki. Uh, I mean, I, I, I admit, I, I still don't quite understand the question. You're saying it's removed entirely the, from what we know well, it to be? Saying, she's saying, like, is the reason it was so financially successful the fact that people already knew about the Joker yeah. character from the from Batman Dark universe? From Dark Knight? Yeah. Just from Batman yeah. things forever. But especially forever. from Heath Ledger. Well, I, mean, let's yeah. I think from that. I mean, I think that that certainly uh, had a connection to wanting to see it. But at the end of the day, the movie's got to deliver. Um, so I think that had something to do with it because, I mean, we've talked about this on, on this podcast before. I personally didn't think you could come up with another performance that would top or equal that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe they have. Um, well, you're, even if they haven't topped or equaled it, they may still be giving something the audience wants. Yeah, well, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, I want to see it partly because... You know, I was so taken by uh, Ledger's performance. I, I don't. I, I actually don't even think that movie's very interesting when he's not on the screen. So I'm curious. I want to see if someone can take this character 
um, uh, I mean, and you, I mean, when we were talking about this a week or two ago, I mean, you, you rightly pointed out that you know, the the, the 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 darkest side of the character actually has been explored in comics before. Right. Uh, yeah. The movie. It's not new. The movie came up uh, uh, it just for me with a singular performance. Right. It was pretty riveting. So yeah, I would say, and that says I'm partly curious to see can some can they do it again? Because I thought maybe man, it's going to be tough for any actor to come as witness Suicide Squad. I yep. mean, that Joker net was a joke. Yeah. So oh, to speak. It was awful. <laughs> it was, it was well, so bad. So. Well, yes and no. I mean, you know, there are some characters that really come alive on screen, and um, you know, uh, to, to give one example, the Hard Boiled Detective. You know, there was a lot of movies that were adaptations of Dashiell Hammett or Raymond Chandler, and lots of different actors from. You know, Robert Mitchum, Elliot Gould, and, you know, it's one that you can sink your teeth in it, too. It's possible that the Joker is a character that, you know, uh, method actors who are twitchy and quirky really can go to town on. Yeah, well, I think think a lot of guys have gone to town on the Joker and with mixed success. I mean, for example, Mark Hamill was an astonishingly good Joker, albeit as a voice actor. Um, Whereas there have been other... Most successful jokers. Jared Leto. Jared Leto. Um, you know, I mean, I say this as someone who doesn't even particularly like the Joker as a character, but, you know, whatever. Um, but I, I actually think that the artistic pretensions of Joker actually points to why so many filmmakers involved in comic book movies got so offended at what the old guard and some some of the art house guard because I mean, Almodovar is not that old. Uh, had to say about these films. Like I think these days it is not just people who see themselves as action movie people who are making superhero movies. It's people who see themselves as filmmakers. Right. And yeah. so for them it hurts to hear their heroes who they grew up worshiping saying, "I don't like your movie. I think it's of stupid." Course. Well, what's funny is I mean, did anyone really think they liked these movies? I I I, I think I would bet you money that the man who made Joker thought in his heart maybe it's my the, heroes will like this. Well, Scorsese's I, I a producer on it. Hold yeah, on, I that's don't really, the thing. I don't is know. That Scorsese's actually involved with Joker. Okay. Yeah. Oh my so, god. Like you so, know, he's he's yeah. biting the hand I mean, that's feeding you know him. What? I don't, I, well, I he's talking it. specifically about. Um, wasn't he talking specifically about the Marvel movies? Yes, he was. Yeah. Yes, he, you know? I don't think he's talking about the Joker. This sure new Joker, that, that but I also I think the Joker sure is a right. character that I. I mean, I, I just think people have always registered with that character. I mean, he, he is one of the most popular villains. He definitely, in the DC he universe. definitely hits a certain part in some people's heads. Even the kitschiest ones from my childhood on the Batman TV show. I mean, the, the Joker was always kind of looked forward to there, as the CMO. There's right definitely there. a hardcore fan base for the Joker, so and what, it's large. Let yeah. me jump in here for one moment and clarify. Okay, everybody acknowledges that Joker, which is directed by Todd Phillips. Uh, who made the Hangover films? Yes, is uh, very influenced by the films of uh, Scorsese, including The King of Comedy and Yes, uh, Taxi Driver. And Scorsese was initially attached to it as a producer and left the project. Nice. Okay, Got I just want to be clear. So I don't okay, know what good. the story okay, is there. Who knows? I don't think that's even been reported. But I mean, he is like he was you know, adjacent he, to it, but he was at one point yeah. attached to make this yeah, yeah. movie. So, and and maybe it embittered him. Yeah. And it's more, I, I think, so, I mean, what you seem to be suggesting, it's more what's been done with the character that he's, uh, and, and other superhero characters that he objects to, as opposed to necessarily, you know, no, making I, superhero movies no, at all. I think that's, no, uh-uh. I think you got it exactly, if you read the quotes, it's mm-hmm. like he really does say that they're like theme park rides. And that's, you know, yeah. like, yeah. I, I yeah. mean, I, I, you know, nobody is kind of coming out there and saying, Things that are, you know, tarnishing the Marvel movies quite in the way that, say, uh, the Wild Bunch was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the new cinema of the seventies was was very much, you know, disliked by the old guard. Let's face it. I mean, that's just how mm-hmm. it happens. Yeah. This is this is what happens. Now, am I suggesting that the Marvel movies are great movies? No, not no. at all. I've said this, but you know, guess what? Pauline Kael hated Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know how that's possible, but she did. And you know, there are a lot of movies that are seen as uh, popcorn action films when they come out but y- y- they speak to moviegoers in a level that's very very deep and I you know not every Marvel movie is on that no. level of course most none but, of them are but some are and I think but, w- but they've spoke the characters yeah. speak to people 
They speak yeah. well, to people. I think we also talk about I mean, these characters are kind of embedded in the popular but consciousness. The thing is, in a way, the critics, I think, even acknowledge that they can't make a dent. But going right, sorry. and I don't think and. To be fair to Marvel, it's not, they weren't just taking the characters who were deeply embedded in the general consciousness already. Yeah, they like took Spider-Man. Some, yeah. They took some they who, took some as witness ones, talking yeah. trees, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, you know, yeah. and raccoons that, uh, they brought into, more into the and public consciousness. brought them into it. Yeah, yeah. You're absolutely. But, absolutely. um, but I guess I am not as a fan super offended that like, artsy directors are not into Marvel yeah. movies no. because I feel that there's I don't know being in the genre ghetto my whole life that you know people like what they like and uh, it's yeah. legitimate to say like hey that's just not my genre it's not my genre that's not what I'm into um, but I do think it is and so I don't mind that they don't like it but I do think it's really rich when they start whining about them being uh, corporate products because if you look at a lot of these guys' movies who have made a lot of money in their time, they're a corporate product too. Yeah, they're all yeah products, I mean, yeah. I would, I would actually say that Amoldovar's got the most accurate criticism because he points out that the movies are, you know, they're not sexy enough for him, but that they're neutered. It's one hundred percent true. These yeah. movies are very, very sexless because they're so big in China, mm-hmm. and and, and because know, they're aimed at all ages. Yeah. Well, yes, but, I mean, yeah. you, you want your thirteen-year-old to be able to go without anybody's parents calling their church group. But can't they hold hands? In the movies, can't well, someone kiss, hold they, hands? They, they do kiss. hold yeah, hands, they and they have kissed, and but it's kiss, all yeah. once in a while. It's all very PG, yeah, yeah. which you know. I mean, I don't since that's not really what these movies are about. It's fine, but you know, it'd be fine if it were something different too. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, there's always more to come yeah, on that. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, okay. Um, Let's see. There's other news uh, on the what on the digital and the TV side and the animation side. Um, help me out with some oh, of these. Oh, okay. Here. So, uh, um, well, it was announced that Netflix has signed up uh, to do an animated series based on Jeff Smith's classic Bone. Yes. Comic. So, uh, we've so, been waiting for that yes. for a long time. Although, just a very you know, that's all they're developing it. It's not like they've signed on people to do it or anything. No, no, it's it was just a, a very, very bare um, bones. Um, Jeff will be an executive producer. Yes, you know, I mean, that's good. So he'll yeah. actually keep his hands. Uh, yeah. Well, I hope so. I mean, we've seen uh, Bone has been in development at Warner Brothers. It was in development yeah. at Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. It's been a development in lots of different places. So I hope this time it really works. You know, Netflix has had a lot of success with the Hilda uh, animated yeah. series mm-hmm. based on the Hilda books by Luke Pearson. So uh, maybe they got the touch. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, let's see. Uh, Crunchyroll and Webtoon. I mean, I wrote a piece about Webtoon a month or so ago. Um, they're kind of uh, the hottest new web comics platform out there now. They've teamed up with Crunchyroll, which also has some investment in creating um, animated deals at in at actually actual anime, so there's more to come from that. I mean, Webtoon has thousands of series. Yeah, yeah it took a while for Webtoon to stick in the United States, but it finally has. Yeah, so. I see a lot of them getting a lot of traction now in the yeah. fan community. Yes. The first few years, it was like Webtoon. I don't know how they're going to do here, but they're sticking now. Yeah, they finally yeah. have have. It hit their stride. And, you know, in, in my story, I reported how they have signed up at, at least 10 and more are, are probably coming adaptations of big five New York City trade book uh, published uh, YA novels to mm. be converted into web comics. So that's, that's very smart. Because, very interesting. Because when you, okay, one, YA novels have a lot of, you know, very fervent young fans. But two, once those fans follow their property to Webtoon, the hope, I think, is that they're going to hit a lot of other stuff they like on Webtoon and they're going to stick around. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then not only do you have them for your teen years, but you may have created a consumer who continues to read web comics into their adulthood. Well, that's what this uh, graphic novels for adults list ties into, doesn't it? You know? So, it all is uh, we're creating a continuum here for a lifelong uh, customer. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I mean, but sometimes sometimes all you need to do is give uh, a kid who has the right brain for comics a small taste and you got him hooked for life. I mean, uh, as witnessed myself, I mean... The first comics I read were what I just randomly tripped over, which was uh, 
like Harvey comics in the grocery store <laughs> and then like really, really bad, really, I mean, so bad image comics, uh, wow. that I borrowed from other kids at middle school. And like, my brain must just been so primed for comics that even though looking back, these books are just so bad and not my thing. I slurped them up happily, went to the comic book store and went, oh, that's better. You kept going until you found the one that you <laughs> found loved. a good one. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, I mean, this isn't perfectly related, but just as a quick mention, um, uh, Upgrade Soul, uh, Ezra Clayton Daniels' award-winning graphic novel, mm-hmm. uh, was originally released as an app. And it has gotten an upgrade uh, as the technology has expanded. They've uh, um, they've upgraded it, and re- they're re-releasing it um, on October 25th. And uh, the first chapter uh, is free when you uh, download the app. So, uh, a- an incredible novel, and I'm, we're going to see some sort of animated sequences, I believe, right. in the in the uh, the app version. Oh joy! I'm I'm sorry. I, I've I've had some bad experiences with with motion comics. It, I have as well. So it's 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 a difficult thing to do, I right? Think, yeah. Well, I I I will be very curious to see because I do think uh, Ezra came at it from a very yeah. Uh, you know, holistic. <laughs> yes, and, and he's brought in some holistic very interesting approach. people to to work yeah. on this. They made the reputations of the people involved. Uh, so it's it's out there. Yeah. So yeah. Uh so yeah. Um what else do we have? Let's here? see. Oh, there was a big uh the big uh, manga release. Yeah. The manga license was announced, Kate, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So Drops of God, which we have mentioned before on this podcast, is in Japan a mega hit about wine. It's about, you know, two main characters who are in competition to inherit this wine empire mm-hmm. and so they have to go through all these wine tasting competitions and there's a lot of slice of life stuff involving wine and the emotions surrounding the consuming of it to go it's it's much more interesting than it sounds um, but it's so popular in Japan that it influenced the wine market there considerably to the point where the publisher had to start sending wine shop companies a list of what wines were going to be mentioned in the comic ahead of time wow um and while it did get a release in the united states um in 2011 from vertical from Uh, vertical it's issues i think it's there were some some very thick collected editions Mm -hmm. but even so um it's a niche product in the united states and I they just couldn't bring out the whole series, which is like sixteen volumes long. I think it's actually I think it's like thirty four volumes. <laughs> oh, it's now thirty four. I think it's also is now thirty four volumes. Okay, but, well yeah. that would make sense. Yeah. So yeah, thirty four volumes. Wine out there. Yeah. There is thirty four volumes of Drops of God. It's just really hard, I think, to financially justify on paper. Yeah. In paper books, so it actually has now. Uh, been licensed for the full run in um, a digital translation um, and they unveiled it at a big Drops of God themed <laughs> wine tasting event yes, on the yes, West Coast. Yes, and there's a... Go, go on, excuse me. Go on. Well, they're, they're launching a wine online wine salon as well. So it is kind of like, I guess a sort of a manga wine online book club essentially right so you they, they you can talk about the wine as it comes up in the manga uh i guess there'll be other kinds of services and discussion groups I about feel the wine on it that japan is not traditionally a wine country so that might be part of the exotic allure of this series yeah, yeah. well i i think also manga has a very different place in japan than it does in the united states here it is manga that is exotic. Right, exactly. Um, and, you know, some guy, when wanting to try this new cool thing, is not going to go, hey, I wonder if I can get a manga about that, right? Like, people here who like manga like manga, as opposed to liking a specific topic and looking for a manga on that exactly. subject. So... It, it's never going to be quite the mainstream hit it was there, but it very much lends itself to that book club format yeah. because although there's definitely a narrative thing wrapping it, they they usually focus on one wine per issue and talk about it in some depth. And it's usually yeah. something that's priced reasonably so that the reader can go buy it. 
So, yeah, I think, I think it's going to, uh, at least bring some sales with it. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's being published by Comixology Originals, which is a very interesting, again, once again, Comixology Originals sort of flexing its muscle again in another area. Uh, they're gonna start initially, I think, with the first ten volumes. I think they're available now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're gonna publish the entire run. Um, and we have a 12 page excerpt that we ran in the fanatic and it's available at publishersweekly.com slash comics. So you can go and get a taste of this, uh, this uh-huh. classic and super uh-huh. popular manga. Oh, the puns. Uh, and oh. the first issue really looks at, um, two sommeliers, uh, which I guess means wine expert. Yes. Uh, and in particular, one of the dazzling, the dazzling um, wine uh, pouring skills of one of these of the of the, yeah. one of the key characters. So yeah. yeah. Um, now the interesting thing, the interesting thing is, I wonder if maybe Amazon is the place for a niche product like this. For Comicsology is because then they'll do their cross promotion thing. Oh, I wonder if no a lot doubt. of people who are buying wine books who never would have thought of manga are going to have drops of God popping up in their recommendations. Call I wouldn't be surprised at all. <laughs> and maybe that'll get it more readers, and that's exactly. all to the good. Yes, yeah, indeed. All right, uh, and we're going to segue from that uh, to uh, we got an author profile of Eleanor Davis, uh, uh, certainly one of the rising stars in the uh, in, in graphic novel business today, both for her fiction and for her nonfiction, uh, the the essays that she does. Um, the Hard Tomorrow, her new graphic novel, um, it's out this month. Uh, we have an author profile of her uh, by Bridget Alverson. Uh, um, uh, it's, uh, the, it's a novel that takes, uh, strands from Davis's own life, uh, the death of an older, uh, uh, close family member, the birth of a child, political protests, and weaves it into this kind of look at contemporary society today. So go check it out, publishersweekly.com slash comics. I will say this uh, profile, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Davis. Yeah. I mean, we talk about her often on this show, but, uh, there was kind of a, quote in there where she talked about, you know, she first, I profiled her for PW like more than a decade yeah. ago when mm-hmm. she had a, uh, she was supposed to do these two book, at this two book deal, I, I forget the publisher, but for Secret Science Alliance. And oh yeah, right. Really mm-hmm. cute mm-hmm. kids yeah, comics. Kid. And, mm-hmm. and she mentions that she just hated doing, or you know, she realized it wasn't for her. She didn't want to make money mm-hmm. doing comics. And so she went off and did everything. And she's like, yeah, you know, I still do comics. I just don't think about making any money at them. And I'm like, wow, you are one of our finest cartoonists. And you, you know, even you, I mean, she really is always, everything she does wins awards and it's on best of lists. And, uh, that's a brutal well, that's, assessment. That's well, kind of a common theme, it's sad to say, among yes. incredibly talented artists. So, well, in this business, I hope that her agent makes the most of this and maybe gets her a better deal next time because, I really do think that they could get hit a mainstream audience in a very good way. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, well, we've seen Raina become a household name. It can be done. And, and Dave Pilkey on the, you know, on the YA, on the kid side. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, honestly, like Eleanor Davis should be the, uh, you yeah. know, Zadie Smith of, of comics. Yeah, you know? and, and, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Best-selling, uh, author by far. So, uh, anyway, more to come on that. Yes. Uh, we'll keep plugging away here. All right. Kate, news briefs? And now, the briefs. Now, listeners, if you're like myself, you may have picked up Ronan Farrow's new book, Catch and Kill, about, which is, which is almost like the, um, all the president's men of the Me Too scandal. Um, it's really yeah. a very good book, but he decided to read his own audiobook. <laughs> and listeners, people lis- noticed something listening to this audiobook. Ronan Farrow does voices. Oh dear. Um, and so people wondered what, what inspired him to make this bold and controversial choice. And he was asked by Variety, and he said, I did work as an anime voice actor earlier in my career in a small way, and it was important to me to do as much justice as possible to the really brave characters. Well, wow. In 2011, he voiced a history teacher in From Up on Poppy Hill. And in 2013, he voiced a Mitsubishi employee in The Wind Rises. Um, wow. <laughs> this guy does it all. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, one wonders if、uh, some anime voice casting director. Looking for some celebrity talent, will listen to this、uh, audio book, and、uh, he'll be getting some calls from Hollywood again. This could be a really big,、uh, you know, second、uh, second、right. career for him. There you go. Yeah, you know, a, a sideline, as it were, when one wants to take a break from winning Pulitzer prizes. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> go back to voicing history、yeah. teacher number three. That'll certainly help your gravitas <laughs> when you're writing about life and death issues. Well, anyway, you know, <laughs> I'm sure he'll pull it off. There you go.、Um, so you know, I mean, that does say something to what you were you were saying earlier about the younger generation having a very different attitude toward a lot of of pop culture things. There you go.、Um, and speaking of which, the stairs depicted in Joker have become a tourist attraction.、Oh、God, <laughs> Heidi, Heidi, this this brief comes from your very own blog. I know. I know. What do, what do you have to say on、oh, this well, subject? Oh, I didn't write that story, so you know <laughs> there was actually a big article about it on Vulture,、uh, where the guy went and hung out. But、um, You know, like they, they're these narrow stairs, and、uh, people now go to them, make videos there, and it's a, it's become a, it's up in the and the、Bronx. locals have had it up to here. Yeah, it's not that far <laughs> from Yankee Stadium, so it's、All、not、right. that that far away. But,、okay. um, So yeah, it's a bit of a pilgrimage if you have to go all the way out by yeah, Yankee Stadium. What do we call them?、Uh, Insulusters, in, influence, influencers, something like that.、Yeah. Yes. Um and. One more thing. We have a mystery. We have a mystery,、mm. listeners. And so, if any of you know the answer to this mystery, oh, please let us know. We're very curious. <laughs>、uh, so, there's a comic coming out, which was formerly known as Tommy Gun Wizards. It came out from Dark Horse. It's currently the fourth issue is about to come out, and. It has been changed from Tommy Gun Wizards to Machine Gun Wizards, and not only is it going to be changed, but they have deleted all mention from the internet of at least the portions Dark Horse has control over of the fact it was ever called Tommy Gun Wizards. It's like it's been thrown down the memory hole.、Mm. <laughs> well, and、uh, the the old issues are vanishing; they're vanishing from print. Although they will be reprinted in the collected edition of Machine, Machine Gun, Gun Wizards, Wizards.、Uh, which. No one will say why this is going on. It's just a big mystery. Was it a, was it a copyright or trademark reason? Was it? Yeah, that's what it, I was wondering. Like, well, I mean, it's pretty obvious. That's what it is. Yeah, so, because if it were the, just an artistic choice, they wouldn't have like scrubbed the old、yeah. title off of everything. Is、so、that still a trademark? Well, there is a comic book that's called、uh, like Tommy Gun Dolls or something、oh, like that.、Okay. So you know, there was yes. Uh, you know,、uh, you need to really search these things before you do it, my、yeah. friends. Sometimes, so yeah. Yes, there's a trademark search site、uh, run by the U.S. government. I would advise、uh, <laughs> people to use it use before it you get very、uh, quite a bit. <laughs> yes, as Fallout Boy found when they decided they wanted to do a comic book about themselves. You see, they named themselves after a、uh, Simpsons character, and then they, I guess, forgot that they named themselves after a Simpsons <laughs> character, or they didn't realize the Simpsons did comics because then they wanted to do a comic about themselves and they couldn't. Yep. Oops. Yeah. So. <laughs> It's、uh, a complicated world out there, people. Yeah. So before you publish your book, please make sure that you're not going to have. Do a trademark search. Trademark、please. problems. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, every all the shoes have dropped now, peep. I wonder who's going to pick them up. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but you know there will be more to come. <laughs>